When I grow up, I want to be a contractor because I like building stuff. I, when I grow up, I want to be a stunt double. I want to be a YouTuber. COVID-19 has us all thinking more about the buildings we live, work, and play in every day. Issues that a once-in-a-century public health crisis brought to our collective attention. Did you have concerns about HVAC and indoor air quality before your kids went back to school? Live in a high-rise building and finding physical distancing a challenge on the elevator? Lockdown got you yearning for green spaces and exercise? Some of you may be feeling antsy working from home in a small apartment with your family. And lots of us are wondering what's in store for practically empty office towers. This episode is all about construction versus COVID. We're talking about how the pandemic is accelerating innovation and opportunities in the sector when it comes to building new spaces and retrofitting existing ones. With a shortage of skilled professionals in virtually every facet of the sector, our guests lay out the reasons why now is a great time to consider a career in the construction industry. And they tell us why these careers are about more than punching the clock and why you can expect meaningful and fulfilling work in this industry. Welcome to WorkShift. We are going to spend a lot of time now repurposing buildings instead of demolishing them and and putting the waste in the natural environment and polluting it. When we design new buildings, uh, we're going to design them uh, with, with, with the expectation that they're going to serve many different purposes over their lifetimes and uh, meet the needs of uh, the people in a sustainable manner. Digital disruption. The gig economy. Artificial intelligence. Robots. And now, COVID-19. What does it all mean for you? I'm Sean McEwen. I'm Ray Harapal. We're exploring the future of work and changes you can expect to see at your job. We'll tell you how this massive digital shift could change your career and what you can do to adapt, evolve, and thrive. In this episode, we're exploring how COVID-19 is accelerating and intensifying innovation in construction, and why the sector is attracting a new kind of job seeker. We are talking to Dr. Chris Willis, a professor and program coordinator at George Brown College's Angelo Delzato School of Construction Management, and Andrew Gordon, principal of Gordon & Gordon Group Incorporated, a construction project management firm serving the industrial, commercial, and institutional sector. We're all doing things differently since the coronavirus came into the picture. We kicked off our conversation with Chris and Andrew by asking how things have changed in the construction sector and why this bodes well for the future. Here's Chris Willis. So with with COVID-19, with this pandemic, what I have observed happening is two general things. There has been an acceleration with respect to change, and there has been an intensification with respect to the way certain things are changing. Mm-hmm. So with with the pandemic, it's accelerated certain changes in the construction industry that have in the past couple of years been very slow to happen. Those things just happened overnight now with the pandemic. It was either you adapt and, and survive or, or you lose it. 
And then there's an intensification of certain things. There is going to be an intensification of automation in construction. There is going to be an intensification of wearing, uh, you know, uh, uh, augmented reality devices. And here's Andrew Gordon. So when you ask me how the pandemic impacted the construction industry as, as it relates to what I do, I'll tell you right now that I think we've become far more productive and we are becoming, we're trying, we're changing a lot of bad habits. I'll give you an example. I used to be on a board of directors in London, England, and I had to fly out four times a year for a four hour meeting. And I always asked the question, why couldn't, why couldn't we just meet virtually online? And back then it was not even thought of as an option. Today, it's the now the number one option, and it's making me far more productive. That's the fun of one scale. The other interesting thing is I was speaking to one of my colleagues who represents and trains uh, uh, members of a construction trade union, and uh, I was speaking to him only this morning. I said, um, how's your enrollment? He said, quite frankly, our enrollment is up. The quality of people that we are attracting is up. Because of COVID, there's been an increased emphasis on infrastructure, which our society and our government hasn't really addressed for many years. He said we're attracting a far higher caliber of people into the industry. So that's what, these are two very simple impacts of how COVID is, in, is making an impact in how we do our day-to-day -day work, and it bodes well for the future. Builders are going to have to do things differently thanks to COVID. Andrew explains how a recent trip to his doctor's office highlighted this. And um, I said to the doctor, I looked up, and I said, you know this air conditioning is not infection-grade standard, so that means any return air will go into the, the air plenum in the ceiling and circulate to other areas in this building, which means if I've got COVID, I'm going to be spreading it to other rooms. He said, you're probably right. I said, well, doesn't it make a mockery of the standards of me sitting outside, having to go into a room, and therefore I'm just going to spread the virus, which we're told may or may not be airborne. Now, I'll give you where I'm going with this. About two or three years ago, GGGI represented the owner of a municipality in Ontario where we built a health centre. And that health centre had the facility to house an outpatient for a, a large hospital, um, and, uh, three surgeries for doctors, uh, an x-ray facility, uh, renal services, dental services, chemists, it goes on. It's quite a large building, about 45,000 square feet. All the air conditioning in that building was infection grade standard, as what you would expect in a hospital. Now, when we were building that and designing it, the costs to build it to that standard are significantly higher than my doctor's surgery which was built about 40 years ago. Failure is an orphan but success has many parents. So this year, COVID came along. The, the, the health centre had been open six months. The centre was fully operational. It didn't miss a beat. And what's more, we could 
treat the, the town could treat patients in that facility with the knowledge that it had been designed to meet infection control standards, including COVID. Now, that is something that we're going to have to reevaluate because if we are going to have more of these type of viruses spread in our society, and it's probably likely that it will, but we have to be aware that when we plan to design infrastructure, we need to have a greater emphasis upon the health impact of the built environment, which I'm afraid we don't do. We are totally driven by capital cost as opposed to health impact assessments and life cycle costing of our built environment. And that is a very tangible example. And I'll add to it one other item. I'm involved in a, a facility, which will basically, it's a, it's a, rural, a rural setting. It has the potential to house 80,000 people in Ontario. Probably one of the most ambitious projects this province has done for a significant period of time. And we're talking with the provincial government and developers to attain this. And one of the criteria that we've decided to pursue in developing this community is it has to be a sustainable community. But part of sustainability has to be the health impact of the people who live there. It has to have a sustainable environment so people can flourish. It has to have green spaces. It has to have the ability to give people an interest. The project Andrew is talking about is a development proposal for the city of Innisfil called The Orbit. The city describes this proposed community as a place where small town and rural lifestyles are enhanced by the benefits of urban living. It's a community with a new GO station at its centre. You can learn more about it in our show notes. Visit georgebrown.ca forward slash about forward slash work hyphen shift hyphen podcast. You know, COVID is saying, you know what, we'd like you to work from home. How can anyone live in a condominium, which is 500 square feet with insufficient space to store food? Or you get into an elevator that is grossly overcrowded full of other people. How does that fit into social distancing? This is what COVID is doing. And this is what the construction industry and the developers and the owners have to face up. And that's why we've decided on this particular project, which has been well broadcasted in the media, you have to take account of the health impact that you're developing the built environment to. I, I just wanted to add to that because, you know, and again, I, it goes back to the two uh, to the two themes that I started off with about uh, acceleration and intensification of changes. So even before COVID, at a very high level, the the thinking was we were going to enter the world was going to enter the circular economy, and the construction industry had to evolve into the circular construction industry. Now, I think with COVID, that has been accelerated. And by circular, we are going to spend a lot of time now repurposing buildings instead of demolishing them and, and putting the waste in the natural environment and polluting it. When we design new buildings, uh, we're going to design them uh, with, with, with the expectation that they're going to serve many different purposes over their lifetimes and uh, meet the needs of uh, the people in a sustainable manner. 
The pandemic has highlighted serious problems when it comes to systemic inequity and lack of affordable housing. City of Toronto data shows neighbourhoods with the highest density and lowest incomes have been hardest hit by COVID-19. Affordable housing is an issue. Developers have to be encouraged, whether it's through legislation, whether it's through economic incentives, to create affordable housing. And it has to be integrated into the society. Nobody wants to be ostracised to say, oh, if you live in this neighbourhood it's because you don't have enough money to buy a house. You should have it integrated in. You have to address the huge imbalance between the haves and the have-nots. You know, just to, to add to that, um, and it goes back to the affordable housing uh, dilemma. You know, last night I, I, I looked at an interview, uh, there was a professor from the Wharton School of Business, and he summed it up very nicely. Basically, with a second wave, what he's saying is the mortgage deferrals have come to an end. The rent freezes or deferrals have come to an end. People are going to have to start paying. And, uh, you know, a, a large number of people, given the debt uh, that they were in before the pandemic hit, uh, may, may end up being homeless. So the situation you're going to have is you're going to have homeless people and then they're going to see an empty building and say, well, wait a minute. We're all homeless, but there, there are buildings in, in, in Toronto that half the building is empty. Uh, there's what used to be a mall. It's empty. Why can't we go live in there? So then, you know, that will really press the politicians now or to, to, to rethink now and to invest in affordable housing because it's, it's not a matter of we don't have the land for it now. It's, we have a building. We just need to repurpose it to meet this, this pressing need. So, so affordable housing may get accelerated as well. So what kind of technology will help us figure this out? How to design and build in a better way? Here's Chris. The fact that we, we are virtual right now and, and we're, we're not really doing a lot of uh, face-to-face in-person meetings, uh, there is that alone is impetus or, or, or will accelerate the use of, of uh, or, or the, the move to digitization of the construction information. Um, you know, to achieve uh, some of the requirements of a circular construction industry, to 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 achieve some of the requirements of of uh, building or repurposing a building to meet certain infection control measures. Uh, in order to do those things, you will figure out that it's easier to do it using a digital model and uh, doing simulations on that digital model. That alone is is good argument or a good foundation for the increased use of building information modeling throughout the industry. Uh, the fact that we're meeting virtually and exchanging information virtually as well, uh, I think uh, the, the the benefits we're getting with this uh, will continue and, and people will probably stick to it. Uh, as a last resort, we'll do in-person team meetings. We'll do it virtually. Uh, the other uh, direction it's going to head in or be accelerated towards is modular construction, which had been on the horizon for a while. Um, this will, will tend to accelerate that. Um, we're even seeing some clients, uh, you know, like certain municipalities or counties, rethinking the way they do affordable housing and long-term care facilities. 
you know, gone are the days maybe when you can flip a hotel into a long-term care facility. Now, uh, the thinking is for infection control, you may need a something like a university-type campus with different buildings. And, uh, you know, so that way you can isolate uh, various, uh, you know, members or sections of the population in your long-term care facility. So we're getting that kind of thinking happening now from the clients and the owners. And, um, you know, given uh, how things are playing out, I think it'll happen very quickly, uh, the change. And, uh, you know, it's, it's the, the, the challenge now is for the education institutions to to really pick up the slack and, and to really impart those skills and competencies. How can builders adapt to increased public health measures, especially in high-density areas where lots of people converge, well, used to converge, and rely on elevators, escalators, and other common areas? What it really comes down to is, is getting the data harnessing it and, and manipulating it and analyzing it. We're at a point where we're going to have access to lots of data. We're going to have access to data as it relates to people's preferences, people's behavior on the weekends, people's behavior on Mondays, how, how they tend to, to walk through a building, their times of entering and exiting. With that data, you can then make a very sensible design decision as to how many elevators you're going to use, uh, what type of lighting you'll put in the elevator, uh, the speeds at which the elevators will run during the day, will you adjust it, what will be your peak time, uh, how many entrances, and even though you could take it a step further with the data on how the users will actually use the building, you could then develop a very effective facilities management plan. But again, it's all based on on, on getting this accurate data and using the right types of artificial intelligence to extract the useful information and use it in your design decisions. So, so you know, the next step is that uh, it's already kind of being done in some research projects at universities. Um, so, you know, we, we see that continuing, that may get accelerated as well. Uh, because the expectations now is, you know, the, the clients are going to demand uh, less waste and uh, more uh, uh, less risk as well. Risk being in terms of building the thing and using the facility as well. So uh, that's definitely going to happen. Lots of exciting changes are underway in the construction industry. And there are a lot of changes in the types of people looking for training and jobs. Here's Chris. You know, as the, the program coordinator of our degree program at the college, I can tell you that the information that was shared with me, our enrollment number in the first year of the degree is actually up. And the types of candidates, or prospective students that we're attracting uh, is up as well. For instance, I, uh, you know, had a conversation with a prospective student who's been a restaurant manager for the past five years. And prior to that, she attained a, uh, a bachelor's de degree in geography, I think, from the University of Toronto. Now, that student, uh, that, that prospective student is looking at having a degree in construction management as a, a final long-term type career. Uh, we've seen, uh, you know, older uh, prospective students in their late 50s 
trying to make that decision to come back to earn a degree. And we've seen students who had dropped out and worked now deciding, you know, you know, let's let's go back because I need to reskill and make sure I have that skill set that's going to be in demand. So so definitely the numbers are up and uh, the quality of the uh, the candidates are, are are improving because we're attracting more uh, from the non-traditional areas. Yep. When I spoke to this gentleman who was a training officer for this union in Toronto, he said we're attracting a far higher caliber of individual because construction has suddenly come to the fore. No longer is construction the Oh, if I can't do this, I'll go into construction. Um, as to skills, there is an acute shortage of skilled people in the construction industry. Prior to COVID, Canada has traditionally relied upon immigrants to fulfill its skills gap. And because of COVID and the inability of people to travel as freely as they once were, and because of the changing demographics in our society, Canada is now starting to face up to the fact that it has to start training its own. So this COVID's accelerated what was already happening. It's time to take a look at the future want ads. Yes, kids, listen up, because these could be jobs you'll be applying for when you grow up. In this segment, we ask our guests to outline a job they think should exist in the future. Okay, Chris, what have you got for us? Or I don't really don't see a new job or new job titles appearing. What I see happening is our current roles, our current job jobs and 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 their roles, those will evolve. They will evolve in the way they're done, and in in terms of their responsibilities. What kind of education or experience will be required? What does that mean for education? What does it mean for society now? It means you are going to get some professionals or a large number of professionals who are already working. They're going to have to upskill. They're going to have to learn something new and they're going to have to learn it quick. And in order to meet the needs of that evolution, you're going to need micro certifications uh, so that everyone gets that needed skill set and, and gets it very quickly. That's a wrap on this episode of WorkShift. What did you think? Want to share your thoughts on this episode? Email us at workshift at georgebrown.ca. Get in touch and we might share your thoughts during our next episode. This podcast is brought to you by the fine folks at George Brown College. We want to thank Dr. Chris Willis and Andrew Gordon for sharing their thoughts with us. It's the end of your WorkShift. Thanks for listening.